Welcome to the Everyday Board Game Podcast with your hosts, Daniel and Daniel, the podcast where you hear about board games every day. Oh boy, here we go. That should be our saying. I think that's pretty good. I just came up with that. What do you think? Uh, I liked my saying better that I was going to tell you about later. Every day is a good day for board games. Oh, you know what? You should have told me that before I made a fool of myself five minutes ago. <laughs> and yes, Creative Chaos, we apologize. This meeting is being recorded. Just so everybody knows, that was before the recording. If you're listening to this later on in our podcast uh, or even on YouTube, for those who... Yeah, Zoom for some reason decided to add a screaming lady at you. Yep, yep. It, it was interesting. But uh, yeah, <laughs> Daniel. We've played some games lately, but we have even more games to talk about. This discussion topic is a little bit different. Normally, we like to delve into the weird hypotheticals, the interesting topics, um, you know, the the thought-provoking experiments of games. Right now, we're just talking about what people like. Yeah, pretty much. But in all honesty, uh, it's important that we talk about stuff like this because this shows us how people are feeling about board games, uh, where where the the industry is going in a sense. Because these are uh, what we're going to be talking about in a little bit are very influential stuff in board game community. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to be talking about two different awards in our episode. Uh, first off, most recently. The Spiel des Jahres was announced uh, just earlier, two days ago, in Germany on Monday the 19th, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. And they announced it. Uh, fortunately, it was about 2.30 in the morning for us. That did not stop me. But it was very early in the morning. Now, we're also going to be talking about the Dice Tower Awards, which are way more uh, expansive, if you will. The Spiel des Jahres is simply the German board game of the year. And we'll also talk about a couple of their other versions. But specifically, the Dice Tower Awards, they have a whole bunch of different categories that change every year. And we're going to be talking about those as well. And so I think the best way to describe it is the Spiel des Jahres is really the big, not just Germany, but Europe. Uh, uh, Europeans tend to pay attention. We've talked about this when we talked with uh, Keith Mateka of Thunderworks Game is where it's good for games that are going to be in the European public to have the Spiel des Jahres uh, sticker on it, but it doesn't really do well for their sales, like, say, here in North America. One of the bigger ones are your Victor Board Game Geek uh, Awards or your Dice Tower or Origins, for that matter. But I think for me personally, I just think because Dice Tower is the biggest review group I can really think of uh, social media-wise, I think theirs has carries a lot more weight because their seal of excellence carries a lot of weight in board gaming and for informed board gamers. Yeah, and I agree with that too. I mean, they, you know that the people who vote from the Dice Tower are looking at it with critical minds and they are used to reviewing these games and, and basing their opinions on it. So they have a very reasonable and, and fairly, you know, concise way that they're judging these games. Whereas the Spiel des Jahres, um, that that is specifically with a panel of people. One thing that it does have more than the Dice Tower, more than any other board game award that really matters is the fact that it has been around since 1971. Yeah. It, it's been, or maybe 1979. It's been from the 1970s. I forget which one, but there's been at least 40 winners 
and there's technically only one winner per year of that specific award. And that's huge. That goes way longer than any of the common and modern board game awards that matter now. And like nowadays too, the Spiel des Jahres, there's only three nominees per category and they only have three categories. Dice Tower has, I think it's five nominees for all their categories except for Game of the Year, which I think is 10 games. Yep. So if you're talking about like the comparison, I guess the Dice Tower Awards is essentially the Oscars, whereas the Spiel des Jahres or whatever, the, I forget what the Brits ones are equivalent for movies, uh, but they're, they're, they're quite important out in that area. I, I imagine it's more like, I don't know, and maybe I'm wrong, but more like the Sundance Film Festival is what I'd compare this field to. I I mean, would, yeah, or the Cannes Film Festival, I guess, would be the better yeah. one for Europe. Yeah, exactly, because it's more of like, a, it's not just like, oh, well, this one, the Cannes Film Festival, the most innovative movie using like a Polish director or whatever, you know, it, no, it's not specific, whereas the Oscars have the breakdown of everything. We also need to mention the difference between these two awards is the Dice Tower tend to take, yeah, most of them are in English, but it's not really an important factor for them, I guess, unless you can read the rules. Whereas the Spiel des Jahres, they have to be printed in Germany for them to be even nominated. Right, which is interesting because Fantasy Realms was originally printed in 2016 and it was nominated just this year because this was the first year it was in German. It was printed in German, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but we'll get into all of that way later. Daniel, I want to know something. What's that? This, we we played some games this week. Oh, yeah. What have you been playing? Oh, we're limiting ourselves to three, but I got quite a few games, including one that we'll talk about in a the, the little bit later. So I'm not even going to mention what that is till we get there because it'll be my cheaty to answer later. But. The few games that I've been playing new to me, the first one I'm going to talk about is Cryo. And Cryo is a worker placement uh, resource management game out there. I enjoyed it. I played it twice. I played it Thursday and Saturday. Played two-player and four-player. I like it a little bit more in four-player because the uh, moves tend to be a little tighter with it. I do, as I mentioned before, and when we talked on our list of instant buys for me or close to instant buys, Worker placements right up there. I don't think this one is going to be that instant buy. Um, I do like what it does, and I do like some of the mechanistic ways that it does. It just didn't hit all cylinders for me because I have to pay attention. I got to go get this resource, and then I got to get this person, and then I got to uh, this uh, pod. I got to make sure my pods go down here, and I got to play these cards in a certain way. Okay, I have this special ability. I can use this for points at the end of the game, or I need a ship to take my guys down to the gate to make sure they survive before the sun sets. And I like a lot of the stuff going on. It's very well produced. Uh, I think it's Z-Man Games, if I remember correctly. If I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And I liked it. I enjoyed it, but it's not something I'm going to go out of my way for. I'll play it again. No, not a problem. But I don't know if it's something that I really need. Yeah, it was interesting. I enjoyed my play of it as well. We played, of course, during the same time. Uh, I love the art on it. I think that's really fantastic art. Um, it was a little. And the production's great. Yeah, the production is really good. Um, I'm just not sold on like. I feel like some resources are only useful in certain circumstances. Yeah. 
I appreciate that fact because it's not forcing you to take certain uh, actions just so you can have all of a certain kind of resource. It doesn't really care that you could very well do just as well focusing on just green and not anything else. Yeah. But I'm not certain on that though. It also doesn't feel like that's the case too. My two plays of it, some feel more important. I think green is one of the more important ones because the whole concept of the game is to save your uh, pods and put them in the, the uh, caverns. Well, the only way to really get your pods, unless you do other stuff on um, by adding to your board, is by spending green at a certain spot, and you could do it up to three times. So it, it was okay. Um, if I would have to rate it out of a 10-point scale, I'd say six. In all honesty, I did I did enjoy it, but it's just kind of middle of the road for me. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it did anything new, in my yeah. opinion. Um, before I talk about my first game that I've been playing, I want to give a quick shout out. And so I took a quick break before we started filming. So I wanted to go get this because I haven't played it yet. Technically, I have technically because I play a tabletop sim version of it. But I wanted to bring this up, and I think this is stunning, and this is worth bringing up. It's a game called The Night Cage. And I want to give it two shout outs. First off, it's absolutely stunning and it looks really fun. And I have played it and I can vouch for it. It is a good game. But this is from our friend Kurt Covert at Smirk and Laughter Games. Uh, this is a cooperative game that has a very unique theme. You're trapped in this like maze, crazy, crazy thing. Uh, it, it's, it's very intriguing how it works. And you can only ever look one tile away. Because that is the candle that you have lit. You can only go one candle length away. And once you leave the path of that candlelight and a tile is no longer visible, it is removed from the game and you can no longer revisit that same tile. It's very intriguing. I want to show off some of the components real quick because this is where it's absolutely amazing. I do have the, the deluxe Kickstarter version. Both versions come with uh, this little tile tower that holds the tiles in it. It looks like a burning candle that's melting. The inside of it looks like the candle's already melted. The outside looks like it's full. That's amazing. The Kickstarter version has acrylic as the tiles. There's also the start player marker, which is absolutely gorgeous. Has this amazing artwork. Uh, the artist on this is phenomenal. I, this is a very creepy, macabre, dark, dark style, but I, I adore, adore this style of of art and it comes with five of these little things you're probably wondering what they are they are light up candles led candles that are included with the game for the deluxe version does it add to the gameplay no does it add to the theme absolutely and so the idea is you're going through like this maze um ithri i can say that i have played a, a shorter version of it i did enjoy myself I I'm would, hearing good things about it online. Yeah. So. I think it's a really fun game, but I cannot guarantee that you would like it. Judging by what I know that you do and don't like so far, I think it would be too simple for you. And I think you would feel the first half of the game while you're just kind of trudging through tiles and surviving is more of just uh, you have to complete it in order to finally get to the last half of the tiles or wherever those main ones are finished or finishing it's a really interesting game on how it works and how when you have you have to find the keys and then 
bring them to the gates in order to get out and everybody has to get their own. So you also have that weird little puzzle to kind of solve as well. <coughs> Excuse me. I think it's really, it's worth a try, but I would be hesitant to tell you that I think you would really like it. I enjoyed it, but I can't guarantee you would. The theme really has something going for it though. It's a very unique theme and I love the art style. If you like the art that was in like the uh, ghost stories to tell them in the dark and thought those weren't creepy enough, Night Cage is a pretty good step in the right direction. But let's talk about the first game that I played. I just wanted to give Kurt a shout out. Smoking Laughter Games, go check it out. Go buy that game. It's awesome. The first game I played was Ohanami by Pandasaurus Games. This is a really interesting game where you have the cards numbered 1 through 120. You're playing them in three rows throughout the course of the game. The rows don't necessarily matter as far as scoring, but they do matter as far as what numbers you can place. Because in each row that you place your cards, you can only play a card that has a numerical value higher than the highest one you previously played or lower than the lowest one you've played before. So if I have a 90 and a, let's say a 55 on it, and those are the biggest range I have, my next cards can only be a 91 or higher or a 54 and lower. So that's how that works. Uh, if there's any questions on that, you know, you just play out a card following those restrictions. You can discard some if they're garbage. Then at the end of the first round, you score all your blue cards, three points apiece. Then at the end of the second round, you score all your blue and green cards, three points again for the blue, four points for green. And at the end of the third round, it's the end of the game. Same, three points for blue, four points for green, and seven points for all your gray stone cards. Then finally, all the pink ones, the more you have, the more points they're collectively worth. Really smart game. I, I'm not sure that the restriction of playing out uh, the numbers higher than lower, I, I did pretty well with that, and I never felt too urgent that I was like, ah, oh, I really want to play this card, but or maybe I just wasn't playing well. I don't know. But overall, I feel like it was, uh, it was a really fun game, and I think it's worth you trying. It's like a 15-minute card game, maybe 20 minutes if you're really trying. It's worth a shot, and it's gorgeous art, too. Yeah, it looked pretty. Um, I showed up right when you were wrapping up the, the gameplay of this one. So it looked interesting. Absolutely. All right. So the next game on my list here, and I'm going to do a quick shout out just like you did. Uh, and that's because of you, your fault. I just played one of the more recent uh, Phil Walker Harding games, Super Mega Lucky Box. And I just have to say, yep, it's an insta buy. In all honesty, I just haven't bought it yet because I'm in between addresses in a sense. So I didn't want to go ahead and that get the shipping just yet but yeah i'm gonna have to pick it up that game was phenomenal i really enjoyed it so the next game on my list though that i played was tortuga 2199 uh, it's the most recent kickstarter that Ooh. got two backers from uh gray fox game and i have to I'm say it was it was good i really enjoyed it there was a lot going on and it was interesting how certain things work like you're trying to take control of certain areas it's a deck builder uh Area control slash first person to hit a certain amount of points. In all honesty, it's the first person to hit 15 points gets it, but you have you can get those points in different ways. It was good. I enjoyed it. I like the deck building part of it. it it's a little complicated because there's two different things you got to do. So you have like your movement, which are the radar pictures on the cards, and you can use them for many different things. You can use them to move. You can use them to attack. You can use them to attack other players uh, or take control of an area 
or you know different things. And the only time you're really attacking another player is if your ships are in the same location and you're trying to take over control of an area. We didn't do any combat whatsoever in our gameplay. There was also, you could also use it for attack on certain creatures that are out there on the board that you can fight that are out there, but you don't know who they are. So you have to use it to kind of peek and be like, okay, I can, once I get my deck built well enough, I can use it to attack them because that's how many you give me victory points. There's um, also the buying. So for you to buy your uh, cards as well, there's a lot going on. The art is amazing. Uh, it's really good art. The gameplay is good. I would have to say, again, it's something that I'm not really going to go out and buy for myself as much as I enjoyed it. I uh, did have a good time playing it. The thing is, it's because I probably wouldn't play with other than this group, that our core group that we play games with. Uh, I don't think it's a little too complicated for some of the other people I play with, or there's just too many moving parts with it to a lot to remember. And it's not the easiest game to teach. There's no denying that. So I did have fun with it. That is Tortuga, twenty one ninety nine. Very cool. Very cool. Good choice. All right. Uh, the next one on my list is one. This will be the last time I talk about this game that I have been playing recently, and that's because we finally finished it. Pandemic Legacy Season Zero. We completed it. It's over. We understand what happened. And it did something very intriguing near the end. I won't give any spoilers, so don't worry if, if you haven't played it yet. But if you've played the other two, then you know kind of, you know, storyline. It, it does play into the whole storyline a little bit. It's in a way that you wouldn't expect, but it does go pretty well. Um, it's, it's interesting because we end up playing it, I think, 19 times total. This is by far the toughest of the three. And there was, there was times where we've got the rules wrong, which is fine. It, it happens. And then Legacy Games, it's not too big of a deal. But there was never a time where we honestly thought that we were that we had a game in the bag. And uh, you played Pandemic Legacy Season 1, right, Daniel? Yes. Yeah, yeah the whole way. There, there was some months where you're like, oh, yeah, we got this. Like, let's just do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got yeah, that, that was kind of us at the, the end of it, too, because, like I said, my biggest complaint with it is that at the end, it kind of felt anticlimactic compared to the way it built up. Right. It You would not you would not have that complaint with this one. It, <laughs> it was very thematic and very interesting, and it does something that, that would really spark that for you. But it was brutal. Every game, it the difference between this and... Uh, and Pandemic Legacy Season 0 and this or Season 1 and 2 is that um, you can still win a month. There's three different rankings. And this isn't a spoiler, but you either win by succeeding, and that's you complete all your objectives. You fail, which means that you failed two or more objectives. Or you get adequate, which is always three objectives throughout each round or each month, except for the first few. There's only two. But if you... Uh, if you fail one of the objectives but succeed in all the others, then you get an adequate rating. We saw succeeding twice, I think. Maybe technically more, but every other time, if we won, we barely irked it out. And that was not, it was so rare that we ever got a success. And it, and it was, in a way, it kind of beat us down as we were playing. It's like you would get the new objectives, you're like, all right. 
this all makes sense. This is easy enough. This is simple. But man, we're going to lose miserably. And I don't think it, I don't think it was because of like how it randomly happened. It just, it, every time we knew how difficult these were and it's a constant onslaught. We constantly felt like we were being beaten down by the game itself. If you like that in pandemic, if you thought the first two seasons were too hard or too easy, then yeah, <laughs> it's going to be your best one. We were also playing the three who have played all three of the seasons, uh, three of us, and a new one, uh, our mutual friend Jim. His mom actually joined us, having never played Pandemic before. And she wasn't a hindrance. She picked it up really well, and she, she competed it and absolutely loved every – she would get sad every, like, every Sundays where we couldn't play. That Aww. was our weekly thing. And, and I don't blame her. It's like, oh, man, we don't get to play Pandemic this week. And now that it's over, it's a little bittersweet. Well, I know how you feel because that's that's me with Gloomhaven. The fact that we haven't played it in the last three or four weeks, I'm like, Ugh! yeah, you're itching to do so, and I don't blame her. But I don't know. This is probably my least favorite out of the three. Really, and it's because of how brutal it is. And it's just like we we felt success, but we never felt a real success. Like, yeah, you won technically you know that's how we always felt like we barely were adequate (laughs) every time we played and i don't think we're poor or bad gamers i think it's just how it worked out it is what it is but man it's a brutal one it's worth a try for sure if you like the other two you're you're not going to hate this one but i out of the other three this one i'm the most happy that it's over it's understandable. I get it. Um, I do want to try it. I still got to play the second one. I've heard that some of the changes made in that one are really good. I did enjoy the first uh, Legacy one. Uh, My only issue with it is, like I said, it got a bit anticlimactic at the end, especially like Mm -hmm. some things that you're going like that, that one big change, then you're like, wow. Or some of the stuff that happened later on and you're like, I can't believe that just happened. Or if you lose a character and just how distraught you feel if they got too many scars or something like that. So it, yeah, I don't know that, that, that doesn't really send me away, but it also makes me a little sad that that was your least favorite because I've heard really good things about this. One. Yeah. And, and I'm, I know I'm in the minority. A lot of people say that this is their favorite and I get why, you know, they're wanting more meat to their game. I don't know. It just it it was my least favorite, and I think it was just the way it evolved made it very brutal for us. So, but that it is what it is. It was still really fun. I would highly suggest it to anybody. Yeah. All right. So my last game I'm going to talk about here is one that um, when you picked up Summer Camp, I actually picked up this game and finally got to play it and see how it goes. And that is the Goonies. Never say die. And I have to say, I really enjoy it. I think it's interesting. It's a board game that kind of teaches role playing in a sense because uh, it's one versus many. You have uh, a goon master or goon doc master or something like that who's behind a screen. He's got certain things that he's got to do and he's pulling things up. He's also reading the story basically, but he's trying to win by hindering you as you're going along. So he's kind of playing the game with you, but he's playing against you. And so, but he's also telling you the story when certain aspects happen, he tells you that story. And we had a good time. I really enjoyed it. I can't wait to play more of it. I I think it's another one by Prospero Hall. That's really a hit for me. And that they really like these co-ops or semi-co-ops that they've done. 
I've really been hit. Horrified, Back to the Future, and this one are probably right up there with what I had fun. Mind you, it was only the first uh, game, and it's played over at a campaign based on the movie. And honestly, I really, really enjoyed it. I think the first scenario is really geared at the players to learn their aspect. And also, I was playing Sloth, which uh, me and our mutual friend, Dom, that we mentioned before, him and me know how to play. So because Sloth is a very heavy hitter, I took care of all the creatures, and he kind of did most of the searching, So and we could trade as needed. So when something needed to get moved or strength checked, Sloth was there because that's all he's really good at. So I really had a good time. He played Mikey, and it was easy in a sense, but I think it's just because I'm comfortable playing with who I was playing with, so we kind of played off each other well, our characters anyways. But yeah, when we talk, like when we just did a top eight debate recently, we talked about how it feels thematically and how you get immersive in there. I really did feel like I was playing Sloth. He was playing Mikey. We were in part of the movie with a little bit of changes because Sloth wasn't in that early in the movie. But yeah, well done. I would play this again and again. Prospero Hall, great production quality for not so expensive. This is, I think, a $35 game, and it's really well produced. So here's my big question, Daniel. I don't care about the movie. It's okay. It was fine. I watched it once. It, was, it doesn't have nostalgia for me, so I'm, I'm indifferent. And I'm not a role-playing fan. Am I going to like this game? I think you'll dig it for what it does because, again, it's kind of role-playing, but it's not. It's, it's at its core uh, one versus all. So the Goondock Master is playing against – because he's controlling the bad guys, but he's also reading the story to you as you're going along. So he's – doing a little bit of the role playing but he's also playing against you in a sense he's playing the bad guys or the creatures that are coming out and he's trying to do negative things for you to do because he's either trying to run the time out or he's trying to eliminate you guys in a sense i think it's mainly run the time out and he's got certain ways that he could do that so i think you'll you'll like that aspect of it uh it's really good i think you would enjoy it i don't think it's going to be at the top of your level like say horrified or uh, any of the other Prospero Hall games out there. I think yeah. it'd probably be maybe under Back to the Future for you. I think you'll still enjoy it, but I don't think you'll go out of your way for it. Okay. That's fair. All righty. Well, then uh, I might have to try it. And uh, the last game I'm going to talk about that I've been playing, and I've talked about this game before, and this is also the other legacy game that we completed, and that's Zombie Kids Evolution the kids legacy game and the reason i bring this up as my main last one for one we completed it technically um i'll go into that here in a moment but we also uh we, we, the zombie teens evolution was nominated for the spiel de jar and because of zombie kids evolution because my kids enjoyed it so much i did buy zombie teens i have played a game of that and i'll have my thoughts on that later on but that was uh, a good, a great game for the kids to play. Now, my kids are turning 10 and 12 this next week, so they're not exactly young kids anymore, you know, and and this game, I can see it being fun with, like, a six-year-old being in, enjoyable. It wasn't, it wasn't bad for me. I enjoyed spending time with my kids, but in the 22 times that we played it to complete it, take a guess how many times we lost. Two. 
once. We lost once. And well, I wasn't okay. I was alpha game. Here's the thing. I let my kids do it. Your son is by far one of the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's got his you can see the gears moving in his head when he plays games. Like, okay, I can see what this does. I know what this does. Boom, boom, boom. So when you said you were playing this with him, I'm like, he's probably gonna get bored with that game. <laughs> in all and, honesty. And that's just because the way the, his gears move. Yeah. No, I I don't disagree with that, but like at the same time, uh yeah, and Creative Chaos knows knows my son, knows he's a complex thinker. But no, I I think most most like you know anybody over eight years old can figure out consistently how to do it it's as simple as just like take your time every time a zombie comes on go towards the biggest group take care of them split up and then you'll be fine and it's just it worked out and it was it wasn't difficult we would normally play about three or four times a a piece and the legacy part of it while it's fun for them to open up the envelopes and my daughter was like, she was the envelope opener. You know, she loved that part of it. It's just, it, it, every envelope, it would add something a little bit new, but once you're halfway through the envelopes, you know what's going to happen for the next like four or five envelopes because it kind of sets in tone. And even, even so you have these missions that you're completing where it's like, Oh, complete, uh, or complete a game or win a game with four players or win a game exactly three months or at least three months after you first played, you know, and you write down like the first time you played it and who played it. And, and there's, and then more get added on as the envelopes open, but there's one of them that says, Oh, win win a game with this. And you're like, okay, I haven't unlocked those other things that it's referencing. So it's very obvious it's not trying to hide the fact that it's like, well, you figured out one part of it, you can kind of figure out the next three, you know, you're going to know what's going to happen. And so that was one thing that was kind of disappointing. There's only like two or three actual reveals in it that actually happened that that mattered. Um, That did drastically change it. But, and there's a big but in this. The final envelope made it all worth it. I said technically that we completed it, and it's true. We completed the the game, and we opened all the envelopes. But what this last envelope does got us very excited to keep playing because you can still play it no matter how long you want to. And it does something so different than the other 12 envelopes that you open up throughout the course of the game that it makes it very, very intriguing. I won't tell you what that is, but it's just, that was worth it for me. And now my kids, they still want to keep playing it and make it worth our while. And we got 20 something plays out of it. That's not nothing. That's yeah. that's good for like a $25 game or however much it is, but maybe 30 bucks. Yeah, it's not super expensive. Yeah, it, if you have younger kids, anywhere from six to 10 years old, absolutely worth your time to enjoy this and working together you know sometimes my son would troll and and then we'd start like, like digging a hole and we'd start having like more zombies pile up and he's like well i just don't feel like doing it it's like dude like i work together he's like all right fine let's do it it, it had some good camaraderie in it with between him him and his sister butt heads sometimes when playing games especially like <laughs> games like monopoly 
they said they had to that they rage quit Monopoly the other night. It's like you guys are young. Like, how, how do you know what rage quitting is? So, Zombie Teens Evolution. I, I highly encourage zombie you to try kids. it if you have kids. Uh, zombie Kids Evolution. Yep. If you're just playing a normal game group, uh, yeah, it's not for you. Yeah, no, I, I I even heard that it's it's more if you're playing with your your children family style game more so than in your big game group. Now I heard zombie teens is a little bit more complex. A little bit, yeah. And I have played one game of it so far. I did like what it's doing. It, it's interesting because you're not just trying to go remove zombies and then get two players to the same spot. No, you actually have to kind of like do like this little chain of a chain of things as you're moving. Uh, these blocks, these crates to the middle spot. It, it's different for sure. And I like how it's it's in a way a zombie defense or a tower defense, but all the zombies just go in a clockwise order. And as soon as one of the areas is overrun, they immediately bounce to the next area instead of moving all of the spaces. So in theory, you if you had a zombie get to a, a dead spot and you have three, three spots that are destroyed, that ends the game because they go bounce, 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 kill it's awesome that, that's that's really silly because well when a when yeah i think that one to get i think that one will be better for your kids because i think uh, again your son being the complex thinker that he is mm -hmm. and the fact that you pretty much this week are going to have tweens yep yep <laughs> i know no thanks but i will you're right ones that are less excited about you know i was thinking about this earlier today out of everybody in my household, like if it comes to like Christmas where we're all getting presents, I'm the one who gets the toys. I'm the one who's excited about the little play, the things that I'm going to be playing with. Everybody else is like, oh, what's the newest electronic we're going to stare at for the next year? No, I'm like, I want toys. I want to make sounds and play things. You know, like, I want board games. What yeah, a world we well, live in. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because I tell my wife all the time is like when I became a teenager, I, all I wanted was like sports equipment or stuff like that. And now as an adult, I'm like board games and hats. That's that's all I want. I want stuff like this or uh, board games because I want to play with yep. the toys. And that I didn't get to play with when I was younger. <laughs> right, exactly. We took life too seriously when we were teenagers back in our day. <laughs> I, I yeah, great chaos point out. I am the actual kid in the family. You're not wrong. You're so not at all. <laughs> let's dive into the awards. Speaking of playing with toys, I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast. We're going to start with the Dice Tower Awards. Um, we're going to go starting from the bottom, the first one that was announced, all the way up to Game of the Year. And we're just going to kind of voice our thoughts on each of these. And uh, if we don't think it should have won, we're going to explain what we think should have won. And also that we're not really going to talk about the nominees unless we think something else should have won it. We're going to yeah. just concentrate on the game itself. We may talk about the nominees in the Spiel des Jahres. Mind you, we're the equivalent. There's only three awards in the Spiel des Jahres. Yeah. yeah. I, so let's go back and forth on this. Daniel, uh, let's start with most innovative game. And that went to the crew this year. Do you agree with that? Somewhat. I, I can see why they went with it because they took trip taking and made it a co-op game with different things that you had to do and certain rules you had to follow for each part of the campaign that you're playing. Out of the nominees from what I'm looking at, I think 
the search for planet X probably is a little bit more innovative for me. Uh, I could see you saying something like micro macro. Um, but honestly, to me, it's just where's Waldo with a board game around it. Whereas the search for planet X, what it does for deduction in the way that it could handicap someone as well as make it easier for a newer player, I think did really, really well. And you know me, I don't, I'm not a big fan of like social deduction. I do enjoy some deduction games. Search for Planet X is probably up there one of my favorite actual true deduction. The only problem is you have to play with an app. Yeah. Uh, Fox Hugh, a friend of ours, a uh, friend of the podcast said, just played that last week. Uh, for the crew, very interesting trick-taking game. Uh, it is played in like reverse. Completely agree. Um, no, I, I like the crew. This award, <laughs> I really, think, I I think out of all five games that were nominated, this is the least innovative, and I'll explain why. Well, I don't think Forgotten Waters is all that innovative. From what I've read it, on it, on it, it's just it's a not. campaign app-driven game. It is a campaign app-driven game, and it uses a lot of the same systems from Dead of Winter. I agree with you. It shouldn't have won either. Whistle Mountain is like a more of a complex uh, resource management worker placement. Not a, that innovative. And I do have counter-arguments for the others. But the crew, it's it's literally you're, you're doing trick-taking slightly different. And I say slightly different because if you grew up playing four-player team-based trick-taking games, which I have, Pepper is one of the big things. You are playing cooperatively with your teammates. That And it's just two players doing cooperative trick-taking. This is nothing new. I do like this. I do like how it adds a little wrinkle every time. I do like the game a lot. It is in no way innovative as far as I'm concerned. That's like saying, hey, I'm going to take a deck-building game and make it cooperative. Hero Realms did that. Does that make it innovative? Absolutely not. The mechanisms are very tried and true and very common you just made the end goal different i don't think it should have won yeah and fox you brought up a very good point he said but definitely interesting and i do think it is good it took me about a half hour to finally get or get how to play because it does seem backwards it very much does and i appreciate it and i think it's a phenomenal game and it's worth your time but really the most innovative between these two or between all of these is micro macro and I know you, you agree, it is Where's Waldo, but a game. But the fact that they all of the pictures are over the course of a time period. And so, yes, you have to find what you're looking for. But then you have to deduce what's happening based on where it's moving. And obviously, we played the first scenarios. Those are way easier. The reason I think it's more innovative than Search for Planet X is because I have played other deduction games that do essentially the same thing, but are not uh that are not app driven um alibi is a good example of that alibi is a phenomenal deduction game and there's a lot of others sleuth by sid saxon it's basically planet x but without but without the need of an app and so it's interesting i do think it's definitely one of the more innovative of the group but i mean i wholeheartedly disagree with that win yeah, I get it. I, get, I I don't disagree with you. Uh, like I said, those two, the Search for Planet X and Micro Macro, are pretty close for me when it comes to innovative. I just like uh, the way Search Planet Search for Planet X does their things. Uh, 
because honestly, when it comes down to it, micro macro, if you're playing solo, it's a little bit more difficult. But when you have like three or four people playing that game together, it's a bit more simple. Yeah, agreed. So the next one on our list here is just the award they decided to give away in a sense. And this is the excellence in rules teaching to go to Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. Now, I don't disagree with this award at all. I think what he did in Jaws of the Lion with those first five scenarios is something that, especially for these heavier games, need to be do, uh, done in other games. Basically teaches you the mechanics of the, or the mechanisms of the game as you're playing through it and doesn't throw too much of you at the beginning. It's like, just learn how to play your cards. These are how they work. And here's the basic cards for you to learn. Once you figure that out, okay, well now we're going to integrate what the monster do. Now we're going to integrate what your, your actual cards for you to use. And now we're going to integrate uh, some of the effects that are going to happen, like the wounding and the curse and uh, uh, what, what these effects are going to happen as you're playing through. And then, spoiler alert for those who haven't played it, but once you get to that final stage, it teaches you how to play against a boss. And so I think what that does is one of the best things I've ever seen in the game. And I've even told you this when I played that. I think this is the mm -hmm. best way to teach one of these heavier games. If they had it, this in something like Tainted Grail or any of those big uh, games that you find like on GameFound that just has everything in the kitchen sink in it. Uh, yeah, this I, I agree with this award. It's just kind of a random award that they just wanted to give to Isaac Childress. Yeah. No, I, it's not a random award. It's it's worthy of noting because I had only seen this style uh, once before in any in any board game, uh, and that's uh, Legends <coughs> of this. But it doesn't do it over the course of scenarios. It just teaches you the basics right off the bat, and then the scenarios you have to figure out because it's more of a puzzle game than it is uh, Dungeon Delve, which Jaws of Lion definitely is. I completely agree with it. I think that award is it's worthy and is worth them making one because of how different that was and what it did for the hobby. I think a lot more people are going to see that in future games. I also have to say that I, I think a big reason that they made this award is that this way they can say, hey, Jaws Alliance got something because after Gloomhaven swept the awards, I think it was in 2017 or something like that, where it holds the record for the most awards at the Dice Tower. <laughs> they're like uh we don't want that to happen again <laughs> right yeah exactly all right the next game that we have listed here is the best welcoming game and uh they renamed this i think this used to be the best family weight game or the best i think it's game. also like uh their equivalent of a gateway game i think they're trying to change yeah. gateway or gateway well. game yeah they wanted to change the term and i i forget exactly why but it's it's what's most likely what game is going to most likely get people into the hobby um i know we don't talk about the nominees i just disagree with this winning because it has cats in it and anybody who doesn't like cats they're not going to get into the hobby because of this game honestly there's That's, two cats in this, in this one with the nominees so i'm looking at it honestly i just went to look in the nominees i haven't played any of these games I, so i can't really make too much of a judgment on it um, just on nostalgia alone, I and from what I've seen, I would have probably picked Scooby-Doo Escape from Haunted Mansion because what that one does, it's a coded chronicle, so it has like the books and of course families all watch Scooby-Doo at one point in time. But I mean, I can't 
make too much of an argument against Iowa Cats because I've never played it. My argument would be for Trekking the World, and that's because it's a world map, and that's already intriguing by everybody who lives anywhere near one of the sites, or also known as everyone in the world, because you're like, you could always have that like attraction going, hey, oh, I know that, I live near there, that thing is super cool, representing, you know, this country, you know, representing this region, I think that's cool, and it's a, it's basically a ticket to ride. You know, it, it, there's a little more to it than that, but like to get a ride with resource management, it's effectively what it is. Um, uh, I will eventually try Isle of Cats when one of you makes me do it. But uh, yeah, that's that's just my thoughts. Is I don't I don't agree because of the theme. And the next one on their list here is the best two-player game winners. Um, the one that actually won is Undaunted North Africa. Now. I've never actually played this game. I've looked at it. It looks pretty good. I, I just don't play a lot of two-player games because the wife is only playing in a group or I'm playing in a group myself. The one I have played and the one I think personally should have won just because I like what it did because it's also trick-taking co-op is Fox in the Forest do it. Because you're playing a tug-of-war game, but not against each other. You're trying to keep the, the stone from going one way or the other. So you're trying to bounce it back and forth and get your cards played properly. Yeah. I I will give this credit because um, like Cosmic Encounter Duel, Curious Cargo, Twi Imperial Struggle, these are all like two-player versions of four-player games, you know, that are more, more, more player games. They just made a two-player version of it and it works. I mean, war, honestly, like most battles in war were two-sided. Like that's really what it was. It wasn't, there wasn't too many in history. And you could probably correct me on this because you know more about history than I do. But I don't hear about three-sided or four-sided <laughs> wars as much as you hear about like this individual battles where two sides, boom, head to head. And I feel like thematically that brings it out more. And it's also made by the same guy who made War Chess too, I believe is the same designer. And so... I'm intrigued because I like War Chess a lot, and I think that this is a war game that I might actually really enjoy. Fox in the Forest duet. Uh, yeah, I don't. I think I can believe it if either this or Fox in the Forest won. Yeah. So uh, either or, uh, like I said, the only one I actually played out of it was Fox in the Forest duet. Yeah. All right. The next one we have is best theming. Uh, that went to Forgotten Waters. Now. From what I understand, uh, it definitely looks like it's the most thematic of all of those, just because of how the storyline comes along. They, it even has <clears throat> something very interesting in it, is that you kind of do like a character creation at the beginning of it, and it's not a campaign thing, but it tells you, it creates the story for you based on the cards and how the game actually plays. And so you kind of have like this cool little backstory that really kind of brings you in, but it doesn't actually change how the game works. It looks interesting. Um, and Foxu, just to answer what we talked about, last word we were talking about was two-player games. Uh, but theming, out of all of the themes, this is the least or the most generic of the themes out of the nominees. I think all four of the other nominees definitely have a more uh, innovative theme because you have Pan Am, Super Pinball 4K, Mariposas, and Dune Imperium. Those are definitely more or less seen themes than just pirates, 
storytelling. But which one brings you more into the, the story? I, you know, I the only one out of these that I haven't played other than Forgotten Waters is Mariposas. And I don't feel like any of them are really that thematic. I can see where this award won. Yeah, uh, Dune kind of is thematic. If you've seen the, the new movie, which hasn't been out yet, or read the books, it's kind of there. Uh, Pan Am is, again, I talk about this like when we talk to, uh, do our topic debate. It's more mechanistic with a little bit of theme attached in. Now, I do really enjoy Pan Am. Super Skill, uh, Super Skill Pinball 4K is the other one I have played. It kind of feels like you're playing a pinball game uh, in a sense with everything bouncing around and you're doing the flipping right stuff. But I can see where Forgotten Waters won. It, uh, from what I've seen, it's really good. I do want to try to pick this up to play it. Um, but honestly, I, I'm not disappointed in any of the people or any of the games that was nominated. I just think Forgotten Waters, I need to try it before I can really say if it should have won that award or not. Yeah. So it has Isaac Vega uh, part of, uh, attached to its design. And I do like a lot of his games. Mm -hmm. All right. So the next one that was get handed out was the best strategy game. And that is the Lost Ruins of Arnak. And so I only played two games on this list. And it was this one and Dune Imperium. I get why Lost Ruins of Arnak won. And I don't disagree with the fact that it won. Dune Imperium, I think I like more, and it's just for the simple fact that I enjoy the combat aspect of it more. Other than that, I can see why Lost Ruins won and why these two are always compared, because they're really that good of a game, or those good games. I can see why Lost Ruins won. Yeah, yeah, I agree with this. Um, I think the only other game that I played out of all of these was Praga Kaput Regni, and, I, and I'm saying I think I've played this, because I played a game that I think is what I'm thinking of, and it was very forgettable. And so if I'm if I'm misjudging it, I I will stand corrected. But yeah, out of the two that I played, Dune Imperium and Lost Ruins, Lost Ruins is better than Dune Imperium. It Dune Imperium does very straightforward work replacement deck building. Lost Ruins of Arnak does that plus tech tree plus area control plus you know like a lot. Yeah, it doesn't of really do area control. It does tech not tree. area control. Um, it does, there is combat when you're fighting the monsters. There is combat when you find the monsters, but there's a lot more that you can do in that. It doesn't seem like they just took the mechanism and put it together. They have some very innovative stuff in it, and that's why I think I do agree that it won. No, I don't disagree with you. I do want to try on Mars and Beyond the Sun that were also nominated. Those are like the uh, two at the top of my list that I do want to try. But I, I don't disagree with Lost Ruins winning. Uh, the next game on our list is the best solo game, and that went to Falling Under Falling Skies, which I will point out, out of all of the nominees, this is the only solo game. The yeah, other, I heard there's like a two-player aspect to it, but... There can be, but it was originally designed as just a solo exclusive game. And I know yeah. this because at the, beginning of the, at the beginning of the lockdown, this was on a print and playlist and you could absolutely download it and print it and play it which i did and it's a very intriguing game and it does some very neat stuff one of my favorite things about it is that you roll five dice and you're going to be using each of those dice in a column but two of those dice are different color than the other three when you pick up one of those two you have to re-roll all of the dice you still have you have to 
So that could either be good or bad. You're like, man, I have a bunch of garbage. Um, okay, fine. I'll place this one somewhere and I'll re-roll everything and hope for better. It's That's a really great mechanism. And it worked really well in that game. Whereas the others, um, if I'm not mistaken, they are designed as multiplayer solitaire games and or they are like Dune Imperium and Lost Ruins of Arnak. That's a multiplayer game with a solo variant. It's probably fine, but it, it I mean, just on that stance alone, I think Under Falling Skies should have won. Yeah, uh, honestly, I played three of the five games nominated, and I haven't played any of them solo. So, like, Dwellings of Elderville and Under Falling Skies are the two that I haven't played. The other three I've played, but I only play multiplayer, and I haven't really wanted to bust them out or play the solo mode. Yeah. Good deal. The next on the list here is the best reprint, which was won by Rococo Deluxe Edition. Now, it's a game I haven't played. Uh, it never really piqued my interest either to play it. The only other one that I've wanted to try is either Fort or Project Elite, but even then, yeah. I've yeah. played Seven Wonders. I'm not a fan of it. So, and I'm not a fan of Seven Wonders either. Out of all, out of all five of these. Rococo is definitely the one that I would want to play the most uh, because, I mean, Matthias Kramer, he makes some really interesting stuff and I've heard really good things about it. Um, and Fort, I didn't realize was a reprint. I didn't either until they nominated it. I was confused myself that. I do yeah. want to try it. I've heard good things about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next one is the best party games nominee and I see you're cracking up already. Um, I have not played all of these yet. I played Five Minute Mystery, Master Word. I own Upside, or no, I haven't played Master Word. It looks fun. Upside Drawn, I own, haven't played. And uh, Mysterium Park is like Mysterium Streamlined. Hughes and Hughes won. I completely agree with this. So much to the point that I can vouch that it is a really great party game. And I know this because I am colorblind and I beat people playing it. And that was a stand-up moment if I've ever had one. I won a game with 480 colors in it, being colorblind. Okay, so just to, just to let everybody know, Hughes and Cues, again, both me and Danny are colorblind, so this one's a bit difficult. We have a friend who helps us out on the show and joins us every now and then uh, named Bryce. He's the game head geek on TikTok. He actually had to make a TikTok about this, the fact that two non-colorblind person lost to the colorblind person playing this game. Uh, I haven't played any of these. I've looked at Mysterium Park, and it looks interesting because it's basically Mysterium Streamlined. But I adore Five Minute Mystery. I, I had played that once, and I really, or a couple times, and I've really, really enjoyed every single play of it. In fact, Five Minute Mystery has probably killed any of the Five Minute Dungeons slash Marvel, whichever one you want to play, because yep. if I had a choice to bust one of those out, it's Five Minute Mystery. But I, I want to try Hughes and Hughes. Yeah, I just recently realized that I have recently sold my copy of Five Minute Dungeon because Five Minute Mystery exists. I don't own Five Minute Mystery, but it has replaced it and I haven't bought a copy yet. Uh, out of all of these, uh, Master Word is, is an interesting game. It's like uh, Mastermind meets a word game, which is really weird. Um, and Upside Drawn is just silly. I mean, it's absolutely silly. Like one person's moving the paper while the other one holds the marker still, and you're drawing a picture. That's hilarious. I love that idea. 
But in all honesty, though, I, I, I think Hughes and Hughes, it's just, there's something so amazing about it, and I'm glad that they printed it. And I'm probably going to buy a copy of it. There you go. And uh, yeah, you could have. You very well could have. Because the idea of using cues is that you're, you're given a card that has four colors on it. You pick one of them and you give and you give everybody a one-word clue trying to guess. Like you might say plum. It's like, okay, well, it's purple, but like how purple, you know? It's, you know, how, how well do you do that? And then people knowing, it's like, well, he's colorblind. I realized mint is the worst clue. Mint is awful. Nobody guesses mint. Because they might think peppermint and like red or white, or they might think a mint leaf, which is green, or they might think like that teal green toothpaste or whatever. Mint is the worst clue. <laughs> so don't ever say that one. <laughs> All right. So our next uh, uh, award here is best game from a small publishers. And their criteria is they couldn't print more than five games to be required uh, for the small publisher award. And Dune Imperium wins this one. And now I'm not going to lie, I'm happy Dune Imperium won the award. I really do dig this game. I like the, the source material that it's based off of. And the only other game that I played off this list was Honey Buzz. And I do have to say I prefer Dune Imperium over it. Yeah. I haven't played any of the other games. Project L is intriguing to me. Um, it, it looks like a game that I would probably quite enjoy. Um, Honey Buzz does look decent. But yeah, I agree with it. But since I haven't played the others, I I have no reason to disagree. Right, and next. so, going oh. on to our next one. Go ahead. Yep. Our next one. Best game from a new designer. Uh, that also went to Lost Ruins of Arnak. Not because any of the others. I haven't played any of the others. That's the only one. So, of course, I agree with it. But um, the other ones, I mean, they look fun. But at the same time, I mean, the, none of them have intrigued me like Arnak had. And, oh, uh, I don't know. Endangered, man. I really want to play that one. That one looks so good. Yeah. I, I love the covers on all of those. If it's like best cover, then that's, that's really good. Arnak probably. I think the worst good. cover is Beyond the Sun, and it's not even that bad. No, Beyond the Sun's gorgeous cover. It's the board that's ugly from what I <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's all I have to say about that one. I don't disagree with it. All right, so moving on to our next one here is the best expansion, and the winner of this was Chronicles of Crime 1400. Now, I haven't played this expansion. Uh, I have played Chronicles of Crime, and I think that is an amazing uh, game, and I understand they won Innovative Game like a few years back, and I agree. That should have won Innovation. I don't know about the crew like this year. Uh, the other ones on this list here is, this is difficult for me because I haven't played 1400, so I can't really tell you. I heard it's really good. I've owned Cobble and Fog, and I think that's the best on match set that's been released so far, as well as uh, Wingspan, Oceana. I like the European expansion a little bit more than the Oceana. I like some of the stuff that they added with it, but I can't disagree with what they picked because I really do get Chronicles Crime. I very much disagree with what they picked. Really? Very Why, much. Because it's a standalone? It, it's, not an, it's not even an expandalone. It's not an expansion. It's a sequel. You cannot combine 1400 with base Chronicles of Crime. It's not an expansion. 
therefore I shouldn't have won Best Expansion. <laughs> I'm sure right. it's awesome, and I'm intrigued. I want to play it. I want it so bad. It looks amazing. That is not downplay it whatsoever. But out of those, um, probably Cobble and Fog would be my pick. I don't disagree with you on that. On that criteria, I would say Cobble and Fog as well. Honestly, and I said it, Cobble and Fog is my favorite on map set so far. Uh, mm-hmm. Mind you, they have some new ones coming out with that has Marvel attached to it. Plus uh, Legends Volume 2. Not the fact that there's going to be an, uh, an expansion for that that you're going to buy as well, the Houdini pack. That'll be my first set. Yeah. Could be All right, of- next one. Uh, the next one is best cooperative game, and that went to the crew. Uh, it beat out Pandemic Legacy Season Zero, Endangered Forgotten Waters, and uh, Marvel United. This is the one that I do agree with. It does. It works really well for that cooperative experience, and you do have to be in each other's heads to be really proficient in this game. What I really like about it, too, is that you're allowed to give one clue. It's just interesting. That's the only time you could do it for that, that turn. And it's basically you put down a card and you place your little astronaut in a certain way. If you put it at the very top, you're telling them, this is my highest card. Or if you're putting it at the bottom, this is my lowest card of this color. Or you're putting it in the middle and you're saying, this is my only card of this color. So don't mm-hmm. feed this trick to me in a sense. I, I really, really do like that. I don't disagree with this pick as well. I really do, I do enjoy the crew. I do have to say, I really enjoyed Marvel United. It, that was probably my surprise of the year when I played it. Because when I played it, I was like, oh, it's chibi. It's probably a little too easy. And then I played it. And I'm like, ah, I'm sad I didn't kickstart it because I missed out on all that other stuff. And then the X-Men one came around. And I'm like, oh, I'll buy that one instead because I prefer the X-Men. Yeah, it was an easy choice. Absolutely. But yeah, I don't disagree with this crew. Yeah, normally people start off with the X Men if they have access to it, you know, to get people that much more excited. They didn't need it. (laughs) That was a fun. Well, I think the MCU has really changed all that, made Marvel bigger overall for all their characters rather than just the X Men. Yeah. The next game here is best board game production. And the winner of that is The Dwellings of Elderville. Now, I haven't played this one, but I cannot disagree with what they put on here because I've seen this game and it is gorgeous. Now, we talk about like Tidal Blades and that was one of the nominees. No, Dwellings of Elderville, just the production is much better. Okay. I'll take your word on that. I haven't seen anything into the production of it. It looks cool from that cover, but I really avoided it, honestly just because I didn't want to get into it that much. Uh, the On Mars cover, I think, is stunning, personally. Looks like a movie poster. But Tidal Blades, I mean, man, did it have a really great production, though. Although I had one argument against it, is that none of the boards actually fit together. They seem like yeah. they but they have, like, weird curves on them, and they don't just fit together, and it's really weird. But other than that, oh, my God, those pieces are amazing. The, the art on it is amazing. It's just phenomenal. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I do have to say, uh, surprisingly, I've seen Honey Buzz. I've played Honey Buzz. That component quality on that is really well done. Yeah. All right. So this one's you. All right. Uh, the next one is best artwork. No, best artwork. And that went to Lost Ruins of Arnak. I 
I mean, artwork is subjective. I love title blades, the artwork in that. I was disappointed in the game, but I absolutely adore the way that art or the art is. Oceans is also a really good one. Um, the box, I think, for Etherfield is where it's at. <laughs> like that box is phenomenal looking. I don't know if it if the game looks any good. I haven't seen any of the components, but Arnak is I don't know. I don't think it's I think the board is really nice. And like the cards are decent, but I don't know. I it that's hard for me to uh that that's really, really hard for me to say. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with you, especially when we're just talking about the artwork here. To me, I mean, when, when you look at the other nominees, you have Oceans, which is very beautiful. And then you have Tidal Blades, and I think Tidal Blades has some of the best art ever made. So to me, this is probably outside the, the best innovative. This is probably my weakest winner on here because... Yeah, there is some really beautiful artwork in game. In fact, my pick would have been Title Blades. I, again, I wasn't a huge fan of the game itself, but I thought the artwork, I mean, just looking at that cover just brings back memories of like, geez, this is a gorgeous game. Yeah. Yep. And uh, this is you. And finally, we have Game of the Year of 2020, the Dice Tower pick, The Crew. The quest for Planet Nine for Game of the Year. And honestly, I don't disagree with it. Uh, I know we both liked uh, Dune Imperium and I both Lost Friends of Arnak, which were also nominated. But the crew, just like the hype that it brought, the, the, the fact that a lot of people played it. And it, again, it was another thing that like if you were stuck in lockdown with family is something that was easily busted out and played and i don't disagree with this pick i think it was the better game really out of all of this list and now i want to play viscounts of the west kingdom and you gotta find it interesting is that it won dice tower game of the year in 2020 and we're going to be talking about this award later the canish bill of 2019 so that's saying it's done really well yep absolutely so, are you ready to hear my opinion on this? That you disagree with it. Why do you think that? Because it's basically trick-taking, it hasn't done anything new, and you think Lost Marina aren't actually away. Nope, I actually completely agree with it. 100%. All right. I, I, I think that out of all of these games that are nominated, that is the best game. I, I have not only, I have only played about half of them. I played Calico. I think Calico is a really smart game. I hate the theme. <laughs> the Dune Imperium is a really fine game. I did enjoy myself and I would play it again. Um, I played Arnak. I think Arnak is a really fun game. Uh, now that I've gotten the hang of it a few times, it's great. It's good. Not as good as the as that. Viscounts I have played it as well. I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's okay. It's the deck builder Rondell one. Yes. I well, I would have to double check if I played that one. It is that the one with the tower in the middle? I believe so, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Like the circular board with the tower? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. It's better than architects. Um, that's not saying much. So <laughs> and then I've also played the entire pandemic legacy season zero. And having played that, um, yeah, no, the crew. I completely agree with it. It is the best game that year. No, yeah, I think uh, they're better games that year. But out of the ones they nominated, I think that I am proud to say that I should have won. 
yeah, I don't disagree with it at all. And again, um, the Kinnerspiel winner as well of 2019. So I really enjoy the crew. Um, I think the favorite game for me out of this uh, out of these nominations was probably Dude Imperium, but I think the crew. You know, I was the one hyping the crew for the longest time, and then I finally got you to play it. And you're like, eh, I like this. This is good. I no, you you're saying that like you had to like pull my leg to play it. I love trick taking, and I do like space themed stuff, like or astronaut themed. I don't like space theme as much, but I do like astronomical theme, like astronauts, rocketry. Well, planets, maybe you'll like the new that. one, which is underwater. So that's it for the Dice Tower Awards. Um, mostly, I I don't disagree with what they picked. Um, there's only a couple that I have minor quibbles about: um, innovative and expansion. And I, I do have to say this, I like the way they do the Dice Tower Awards because it's like a group of like a hundred different reviewers and it's correlated and it's ranked, I think, is like if this is your number one pick, what's your number two pick this way? It's scored certain ways. I do like the way they go about doing their awards. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I completely agree. I, I think that's awesome. And then, although I don't think it's necessary that they do something that I think is funny. Tom Vassell, who's the head of the Dice Tower, he always is quick to explain, look, I don't vote in any of these. It's not just my awards. It's everybody, which is fine. But he's like, I only vote if there's a tiebreaker. It's like, well, I mean, if you have 100 people, you deserve a vote. I mean, you're kind of, you're kind yeah. of, uh, you know, I don't think you need to specify that every time. That's just me, though. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, so moving on. You, this, these are the awards that we're going to that you really love. The fact that it's it's on your Insta buy list. It is, it is, and that's because um, I this award ever since I saw it on some of my favorite games, it started becoming uh, one of those things where I would tell people it's like if you see this symbol, which is a pawn with a laurel wreath uh, behind it, if you see that symbol on a game there is a very good chance that you have a good game. So much to the point where they will put it on for like uh, nominations even. It'll even say like, Spiel de Jar nominated, you know, and like fine little print nominated, not one, but nominated because they know how impactful that little symbol is. And it wasn't until I started getting into the hobby that I started noticing on some of my favorite games, Ticket to Ride, Parkinson, uh, all of these different ones, uh, uh, Settlers of Catan, that this symbol kept popping up, which got me to the point where it's like, wow, there's there's the trend here, and now I own every single one of them. So this is a huge thing for me because it it really does align with my taste a lot. And which is which is interesting because the Dice Tower Awards are tend to be what align with my taste. It's uh, my preferred mm -hmm. kind of games. Not that I hate any of these. In fact, I have called every single for the last I think three or four years every Spiel des Jahres winner. I missed the Kinderspiel this year, but it was, um, that's the award I actually prefer. In fact, the Kinderspiel. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so this is the first year that you got it wrong, huh? Uh, first year since I started calling them for about four years. Um, my pick was Lost Ruins of Arnak. Gotcha. Okay. But so, uh, we'll go ahead and get this started. You want to start with the Kinderspiel? You want to talk about the nominees and then the winner? Yeah, we'll talk about it. Um, so I know very little about the actual Kinderspiel itself. Um, 
that they were nominated, there's Faber Welton and Mia London, which I know nothing about. Um, the Kinderspiel specifically is the kids game of the year. They nominated three. Um, and the one that ended up winning it was Dragomino, which is a kids version and a very light version of King Domino, which won the Spiel des Jahres a few years ago. Um, and I almost forgot that the King Domino actually won until I read King, uh, Dragomino. And I've seen how it plays and it basically takes that and by making sets of, of different uh, areas together, you get, get dragon eggs and those dragon eggs are, are how you win. It's not so much victory points, not the best one. It's just once you get certain groupings together. And it looked intriguing, but I haven't had the urge to buy it. Um, it looks fun for a kid's game. And I'm sure if my kids were a lot younger, I would definitely buy it for them. But they're definitely old enough where they can play King Domino and have no problems with it right yeah, now. Yeah, the, the thing about the Kinderspiel is it's recommended for ages. Uh, I'm looking at the actual list here, recommended for two to four to ages five and up. So they're literally kindergarten age range is what they're thinking. Uh, also, Fabin Welton is an English story tailors uh, for those out there. I don't disagree with this because I played King Domino and it's not that bad and Dragon Domino looks pretty good. Uh, it's a Bruno Cathola game. And what's interesting about this, it's a Bruno Cathola game with Mary Fort and Willifred Fort who were also nominated for Father Welton or Storytellers. Yeah. Yep. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It. I mean, I'm willing to give it a try. I, I absolutely would. I've not been uh, too shy to play a kid's game before. We, we've had this discussion already. Well, the but, fact um, that we get a kick out of playing a game like Coconuts, which is just straight up a kid's game, but we get giddy and giggly about no. it. Yeah, we, we do get giddy about it, absolutely. So, but yeah, it, it's worth a shot. I'm sure kids would enjoy it. Um, let's talk about uh, the Kenner Spiel, which is the gamer's game of the year, or yeah. the advanced gamer of the year. Um, there were three nominees. There was Fantasy Realms, Lost Ruins of Arnak, and Paleo. My uh, myself was Lost Ruins of Arnak. So I've played all three of these games. Oh, oh no, I've played two of them. I haven't played Paleo yet. I do want to play right. that one. Me too. Uh, it looks absolutely fun. And it's a cooperative game where you are growing up in the Ice Age uh, or like, you know, trying to survive the Ice Age and dealing with all of the problems with it. It does some pretty innovative stuff that I think is worth looking into. Um, the, the problem I have, so I played only two of these as well. I played Lost Ruins of Arnak and Fantasy Realms. I thought Fantasy Realms was probably going to play it or win because last year the Kennerspiel was the crew, which is not an advanced game by any sense. I mean, sure, to be good at it, yes. But, I mean, Lost Ruins of Arnak, we're gamers. We're used to it. I would never teach this to like my parents or anything. There's no way they wouldn't be able to figure this out. There's too much going on. It's too complex. I don't think it needed. I, I'm, I kind of don't agree with it being even nominated because of how, how advanced it is. It's a medium to heavyweight Euro game. Now, granted, it's the gamers game. So what do I know? But that's just my opinion. 
the thing about Fantasy Realm, I can understand why this is more gamer game, because if you just look at the, the Spiel des Jahres list, Fantasy Realm is not that complicated, but it's a step above some of those that are on there, because, I mean, you're comparing it to some other games we've talked about. Um, I didn't see this one winning because I thought it was too simple for the Kinderspiel in a sense, but I think it was too advanced from what they've done with the Spiel des Jahres now, so I understand why they put it here. Um, of course, the winner, uh, we haven't mentioned it, is Paleo. Paleo did win the Kinderspiel. I really want to try this one. It looks really good. It's right up my alley of co-op. It's somewhat resource management. You're trying to work together to survive as a tribe, in essence. And it's just hard to find. I, I know where you have to wait. I think they're, really, they're going to their third printing. It's just hard to find right now. I've looked at a bunch of game stores for it. Uh, game Nerds, uh, uh, Miniature Market, uh, Game Vault out here in El Paso, because sometimes we can find games that are out of print because it's it's a smaller store in a smaller area. Nah, no one has it. And I really, really want to try this one. Fantasy Realm, really enjoy it. Uh, had a great time playing it when we played this one. And Lost Ruins of Arnak, uh, my pick, because I just thought it hit all the niches. Because if you look at the pattern, Crew won it last year. Wingspan won it the year before. So, yeah. It makes sense. And I you got to give props too. also the designer of Fantasy Realms. He made this uh, 12 years after he made um, Betrayal House on the Hill. It's the same designer. And that's a huge span. 12 year difference and still making games that are that well acclaimed. Yeah. That's, that's worth noting. Well, didn't uh, the, the, the creator of the uh, Paleo, Hans M. Gluck, didn't he do something pretty big recently too? Or Hans M. Gluck is the publisher. Oh, uh, uh, Peter Rustemeyer. That's what it is, yeah. It could be. Um, I don't think I know his games off the top of my head, but that he absolutely... No, no, I was it. thinking Hans and Bluke because of some of their other games. That's why. That was my yeah, bad. This is your, out of all the years that Hans and Bluke have been printing games, which is more than 20, because I know that they start that they had Carcassonne. There was original printed for Carcassonne. That's what it was, yeah. This is their very first cooperative game. That's interesting. And it, yep. look what it does. It, it just won the canner. Yep. They, they knew they had to do a good one if they were going to do cooperative. So right. let's go into the big boy. The, the Spiel des Jahres. So your three, three nominees were Zombie Teens Evolution, The Adventures of Robin Hood, which, interesting enough, is not in English right now. This is only German game. Uh, and as well as Micro Macro. Crime City. Zombie Teens Evolution, you've talked about it. Um, what's interesting about it is because I think all of these are co-ops, right? I think this is the first time the Shield of Jars had uh, all co-ops nominated. And then yep. the Kinderspiel yeah. winner was a co-op as well. Yep, exactly. This is the first year where I, every game was cooperative and or nominated, and that really kind of shows that they do really like working together to play games. They, they like the camaraderie as far as that that is. And a lot of the games that I'm seeing over in my uh, Spiel des Jahres winners, there, there's been trickles of, of cooperative games throughout the years. You know, Just One is one of your favorites. Oh, yeah. uh, Codenamed is a team game. Um, yeah, there's quite a few. Not, not as many as there could be, but there there's definitely, it's no stranger. So there's two things games. I noticed about the Spiel des Jahres. One, it's all co-ops. I think this is the first time all three games that were nominated were co-ops. And two, there's no Reiner Knizia game in here. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's worth noting too. It's this is one of the first years. I don't think Reiner Knizia had many games published throughout the pandemic that I'm aware of. I mean, I'm sure he did. True, or I, I think most of them were weak trains. So, yeah, exactly. So that might maybe he's taking a taking some time off. I don't know. But let's talk about the the two nominees first because I want to talk about those. Uh, the Adventures of Robin Hood is the one that I have not played. The only one I haven't played. Well, and because it's not in English. Because it's not in English, for one. Uh, it does a lot of really neat things. It's from uh, Michael Menzel, who who is known for... Uh, Didn't he win it for Adventureland? No, Adventureland was nominated and never won. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but and, and that also wasn't Michael Menzel. He didn't make Adventureland. He did. He might have done the art for it. Um, that was uh, Kramer and Kiesling who made Adventureland. Oh, okay. Yeah, but Michael Menzel, he's made a few games here and there, but he's mainly known for Legends of Andor. And that's because he does the art and the production for it. And that's what he's really known for is his art. That's the one I was thinking, Legends of Andor. My bad. Yeah, Legends of Andor. And this looks really intriguing. You're pulling pieces out of the bag, and that's how you're moving around. The board is almost like a legacy thing. Like, you're peeling off parts of it and, you know, flipping them around, and tiles interact in different ways, and you're able to slide it into a sleeve, and the board will stay that way permanently. Um, and so you, in between games, you get to keep your game the same way. It's a, it has a board save state, which is really neat, I think. Um, but by that part alone and by the mechanism that I looked into, it does definitely seem like it's the most complex out of all of those. By far. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. I haven't looked too much into Robin Hood, though, don't get me wrong, that scene right there uh, intrigues me because I, I like the, the Robin Hood story. Uh, I've seen most of the movies I have read a little bit of the books, and I want to try it. I just, again, I have to wait for the English version. Yeah. When it comes out in English, I'm buying it. I, I'll buy it. I'll bring it over. We'll play. For sure. Sounds good to me. Now, the other, the other nominee was... was go ahead. Oh, no. By all the means. other nominee was uh, Zombie Teens Evolution. Now, you've played Zombie Teens Kids, that's what you were mentioning at the top, and you have played the one playthrough of this one as well. I yeah. haven't played it, so I can't really make too much judgment of it. I don't know if it's something I really want to play. And I apologize for the Twitch viewers, you cut out a little bit there. You said you don't really want to play, and then it cut out. Well, I, all, I, all I cut out was it, so. Oh. Yeah, you don't really know if you want to play it. Uh, you know, I'll bring it over so you can try it. But okay. I don't think you could be—I don't think you're gonna be won over by it. I really don't. Um, they're way better cooperative games. That this does. Um, it, it does. It, it's better than Zombie Kids Evolution, and I did have fun playing it that with my kids. But it, I don't see this being the replacement for it. Because my kids are, you know, they're older. They're, they're not going to find this complicated, I don't think. But they may enjoy it. Um, but mostly, yeah, the one play I have gotten of it, and that, in all fairness, I've only gotten one play out of it. It, I already get why I don't think it would have won. Because it does well for kids. It's good. Um, but I don't think most adults would 
would be able to want to sit there and play it 20, 30 times just to unlock the envelopes. And they don't get much excitement by doing so because, I mean, it's not a real legacy. It doesn't tell you a storyline. It just, you unlock stuff. And that rewards you for playing it more often than not. And that's kind of, that's kind of dishonest in a way. Yeah, I get that. Um, yeah, I just, again, it just, the zombie teens, I, I, first off, I'm zombie now. I'm not a big fan of games with zombies in it anymore. I think the only one I still have that has zombies in it is Dead of Winter. Now, I haven't played it in a while, but that one, for me, I like it because the zombies aren't the main factor of that game. Whereas yep. uh, this one kind of is, and it's just, that that's one knock on it. And two, I think it's just too simplistic for me that I don't mind simple games, but I just don't think it's going to scratch that itch that I want. This could have very easily been like a micro game. Like, honestly, like 18 cards and you play that way. I could totally see that. I could see it going that way too. Yeah. Um, But overall, I I do enjoy it. I'm going to keep playing it and I will let you know if my thoughts change on that. Okay. So now you want to get into the winner? Let's do the winner because. This has gone over like gangbusters. I own, I think, the only copy in town here because we don't live in a super huge town. And I found it completely across the country yeah. and brought it, brought it back. I have shown it to you. Daniel, I know my thoughts on it. What did you think when I showed it to you and, and our, our friends during that last game night? And I just stuck around for a few minutes. I'm like, you guys try these scenarios. What do you think? I enjoyed it. I I could see. Uh, it's funny because going through this list, I haven't played any of these games when I made my pick, and I thought because what it looked like and what it did, it was my pick for Spiel des Jahres. I haven't going in blind, just looking at it, and I have to say, I see why. I see why it won. I know uh, Ithri earlier was saying he wants to see his thoughts about what this winning it. Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, it was probably simple but hard because that map is huge. And then you got to figure out where this one person is and you have to go and follow their path as they're doing certain things to find out what happened. And it's, it's not as easy as it sounds because this map is huge. It's like, you got to find this area. And the only clue is like, it's somewhere between here and here. So you got to find those locations and then you got to find that location. And then you got to find the person in that location. And then, so it's not as easy as it, it, as it says. It's got that little hour uh, magnifying glass, which honestly is not all that great either. <laughs> but I do enjoy it. I really liked it. I had a good time with it. I don't see it, you know, lasting a long time, per se. Uh, like uh, something that I can go back to over and over again. Because in essence, it's Where's Waldo, the board game, where they added a little game to it. I also, it says ages 10 and up. I, uh, it just depends on your, your, your child's mentality, but it's called Prime City for a reason. There, there's some questionable stuff in here. So I'd be careful if you're playing this with kids as well. Uh, don't go into it thinking it's a Where's Waldo book. Yeah, there, there, there is some questionable stuff in it. Though I enjoy it. Yeah. I want to pick it up. I think it'll go down with my other game group because I had fun with it in all honesty. Again, I just don't think it's something that's going to last. Now, they're supposedly going to be making more games in this style from some yeah. of the stuff I've heard. So, Yeah, using the same style, of course, less, uh, less upsetting. Um, 
uh, I'm going to read what Ithri posted because it's, it's very well thought out. He says, from what I have played, game is super good, excellent, cool, great, sure. My only qualm is that so far, it's just a hidden object game. Those are great, but you don't see I Spy or Where's Waldo winning Spiel. It's that all it takes is to impress good or impress people nowadays hidden object with slight twist i guess fantasy realms got nominated so there's still hope for humanity <laughs> uh fantasy realms so. got nominated for the kinderspiel it didn't get uh, nominated for the spiel de jaris and i'm even looking at the the recommendation list uh, so we talked about the nominations which was zombie teens evolution rob uh, the adventures of robin hood and crime uh, micro macro crime cities the other ones was bis 20 chakra Point Salad, Switch and Signal, and the key, uh, Sabotage and Lucky Llama Land. So I don't think your hopes for Spiel are going to last that long. Right. Yeah, there, there's just some recommended. I haven't even looked through the recommended list all that much, but I believe it. No, so, yeah, I, I both disagree and agree with it three because it it's not really a game. It's really, in a way, it's not, right? You know, it's just yeah. an interactive experience. But my counter-argument for it, and this is why I, I was almost certain it was going to win, is because, one, they do like innovation. If you could do something that, that's tried and true in a new, interesting way, a la, you know, uh, the crew, that's a perfect example, they do look kindly on that. And this is almost, in a way, a remake of a Spiel de Jar winner from the past. Do you know what game I'm talking about? You're, you're not talking about the Sherlock Holmes one, are you? I am, because that really kind of is. Sherlock Holmes was just a choose-your-own-adventure book, is essentially what it was. You had to figure out these weird ideas completely arbitrarily and solve this puzzle by talking to people going across this big paper map. Well instead of having all the reading in the storyline you're inferring it by looking at those images and so yes you could you technically can't lose other than not finding the things and just giving up so somebody who has more focus and more drive and want to finish it will almost always win but it's the story that you tell on the way that i think is what makes it so intriguing uh, that's compared to uh zombie teens evolution which just isn't that great of a game in all honesty um in comparison it's a fine game and i don't want to downplay it at all but it's just like if you're playing against like anything that's cooperative like uh, castle panic for example that's just a better game and it's not that much harder to learn um you have more choices but then the events of robin hood is just way too complex it just made sense for this to win and with that being said uh one of the very first days back from the back from the lockdowns that we've had we started opening up in our state we started doing our game nights at our local store again and i brought this out and you better believe that it went over so well i have had there was multiple people who had never met each other all unfortunately way too close <laughs> looking at this small little map and, and enjoying themselves, just looking, doing the seek and find. And when they all sat down after playing a few scenarios, they gave that same satisfied look. They're like, man, that was a good meal. 
I, I am very happy that I just experienced that. So although I agree with Ithri that there's not really a game in there, because I completely agree, I think it's the best experience of all of those. I'll give you that, but this field of jars is supposed to be the game of the year, not experience of the year. Now, I don't disagree that it should, uh, it was my pick to win, just for the simple fact that the other two games uh, didn't really sing to me, I guess you could say. Uh, the, the Adventures of Robin Hood, you've seen most of what it's done before, Zombie Kids may have been too, too simple. Um, that's why I think Micro Macro was going to take it. And honestly, it's like the same last year when I picked Pictures to win. It's just because I'm like, it's the more family game. Honestly, I, I see the Spiel des Jahres becoming the family game of the year rather than the game of the year. I, I am gravitating more towards the Canter Spiel because those are the game of games. Those are the, the heavier ones that you're going to enjoy. And in fact, the last three years, I've enjoyed every single one of those winners. Now, I do want to add on to what you were saying earlier as being a proud parent. Um, you're probably wondering, I have a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old. Well, they're almost 10 and 12. Next week, they will be. The question is, would I play this with my kids? And my personal answer is yes, I would. Uh, Micro Macro, I feel, is, yes, it's a crime city, right? You know, it's a bad theme. There there are some questionable scenarios. Like... Um, like there might be a car wreck or somebody being like pulled into the forest. And you're like, as an adult, you can have a twisted mind and think, okay, I'm inferring what's going to happen. And that's terrible. But there's no blood. There's no drugs. There's no alcohol. There's no profanity. There's nothing that's technically obscene in any of that. Uh, that would be censored on like a TV show on TV, you know? And so the idea of like, oh, well, this little like cartoon character, you know, oh, he, he, he got in a, in a car accident for some reason he, and he's probably dead. It doesn't say that he's dead. You know, it, it's, not, it's not saying that you can apply it, but, you know, it's, you don't know. The thing is where I'm going with this is that if you're okay with something like that with your kids, and of course, use your judgment. Yeah, I don't see this anything worse than, you know, like YouTubers pranking about like giving like toothpaste filled Oreos to homeless people. Like that's way worse that they're seeing all of a sudden. And they've probably seen it as like, oh, it's a prank video gone wrong. Look at this guy fall and bust his head. You know, I don't think implied crime is nearly as bad because I don't think my kids are going to look at this and go, Hmm, any of this is a good idea. You know what I mean? And that's Yeah, no, I get that. And I, I do agree. Yeah. It's, it's basically viewer discretion is advised. You have to make the decision if you're going to play this with your kids or not. If you're not comfortable with your kids playing this, then that's up to you. Uh, others may feel comfortable for the kids to play this. But they, there has to be that caveat in it. And it is said mm -hmm. Prime City. And yes, there's no blood. Mind you, it's black and white in all honesty. Yep. But um, I agree. I, your kids probably would do well with this, but then there's probably some eight, nine, 10 year olds who probably wouldn't. So that's what yeah. I'm saying. It's just Agreed. it's a game that you have to be careful with. Don't think this is a where's Waldo. Think that you have to go through this. And in fact, make sure you play it before you introduce it to your kids. This way you can make the inference uh, that you, this is okay for them or not okay for them. 
I don't dis- I don't gr- disagree with anything Ithri said or you said. I like the game. Uh, it's fun. I had a good time with it. But again, like I said, I don't see it lasting all that long. It's just look at this, follow the timeline. Done. There's a few what like ten scenarios or something like that in the. There is box. sixteen scenarios, and from what I understand, like the last, the last like five or so, use the entire map, and I guess that's when it becomes really immersive and and incredible, from what I've heard. Yeah, so I, I, I'm interested in trying more of it, but it's not some. I may go out and buy it if I can find it for cheap. But I'm I'm glad you got it and I got to try it. Um, but I'm not going to go out of my way to look for it. If I could pick it up, I find it somewhere. Sure, but I'm not going to be searching like I was for Paleo. I think yep. Paleo is something I want to get. Cool. Well, I I completely agree. I agree with all of the with the spiel de jar. Uh, Kenner, Kinder, all of those I do agree with. And same with the spiel this year. I'm glad I own it, and now I don't have to seek it out and have trouble finding it. That's the only thing I was upset. I own two of the three nominees. I was like, I have good bets. Please don't win Adventures of Robin Hood, no matter how good you probably are. (laughs) I've never not wanted a game to win so badly in my life. (laughs) Alrighty. Well, this has been a long night, but that was fun. This is a different uh, discussion topic we've done before. We're talking about the awards and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be intriguing for the, the audience. Yeah, and thanks for everybody who turned in. We had uh, quite a few contributors. Uh, Ithri, always a pleasure to have you join us on our chat. Same with Creative Chaos. Uh, Fox, you thank, you, thank you again for joining us. You guys also, I want to give a shout out to Ithri over here. Uh, if you've got a chance out there, go try Bullet. It's a really fun game. Give it a shot. Yes, he, he he doesn't like us shouting about every time, but man, Bullet is so fun. Like, seriously, it, it's it's really, really good. Like, it's just has no right being that good. <laughs> right? I'm, really I'm not does. a huge, uh, like, anime board game, uh, like, with the art and stuff like that. No. But I have so much fun with this game. It's it's so good. Please seek it out. <laughs> yeah. And, and let me point out that that was Daniel giving him the shout out, too. After Ithri almost threw down with him in a back alley last week. So <laughs> the love we have for our audience, it's amazing. And Creative Chaos, thanks for tuning in. I'm glad you enjoyed. And yeah, so we want to thank everybody for tuning in. If you ever want to join us in on a live episode, we love interacting with our fans and everybody joining in on the discussion. Even if you don't like board games, hopefully it's still fun to listen to and at least hear me and Daniel argue because we do that pretty often. So. Oh, wow. You can join us live at twitch.tv slash everydayboardgames. As well as you can find all video re-uploads on YouTube at Everyday Board Games 2020. And if you like what we do, there are three things that you can do to help us grow on the platform. Subscribe if you're not, like the video, and comment down below and tell us your thoughts on the subject. As well as all audio versions can be found on most podcast platforms under Everyday Board Games Podcast. This includes Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, and Podbean. And if you ever want to say hi to us directly, reach out or even give us ideas for future episodes. We love hearing your ideas. Email us at everydayboardgames2020 at gmail.com. As well as you can also get in contact with us at our official Twitter account, which is at EBG Podcast. So we want to thank you for tuning in. I've been your host, Daniel. And I've been your host, Daniel. And we want to thank you for listening to Everyday Board Games. Have a good one.